I'm Ed Pakulski. Welcome to News Engine, an inside look at how and why we publish news and events. Hurricane Agnes was the costliest natural disaster to hit the United States at the time, causing an estimated $2.1 billion in damage with over 120 deaths. The effects of Agnes were widespread from the Caribbean to Canada, but the worst damage was in Pennsylvania. Agnes wasn't a huge hurricane, but when it came ashore on June 19th, Agnes made landfall in Florida with winds of 75 miles an hour. After losing strength and being downgraded to a tropical depression, the storm crawled up the coast, and that's when the trouble for the Wyoming Valley really started. The storm stalled over upstate New York and Pennsylvania for several days, and rain totals averaged between 7 and 19 inches. Over or about 100,000 people had to be evacuated. The book is called Agnes Remembered 50 Years After the Wyoming Valley's Worst Disaster. With us today in the studio are Joe Butkowitz, Managing Editor of the Times-Tribune, Dave Janoski, Managing Editor at the Citizen's Voice, and Leonardo Bilbo, Community News Director at the Citizen's Voice. Uh, the book is published by Citizen's Voice and Pediment Publishing, a, a partnership that we've had for a number of years. We've gotten together and produced a, a couple of books. Uh, but Dave, this one is a little different. Uh, this is the 50th anniversary of Agnes, uh, but this is the first time we've ever published photos that really haven't been seen before by the general public. These are personal photos. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, that's right, Ed. We reached out to our readers and uh, residents of Wyoming Valley to share their photos with us to, for inclusion in the book. So there are a lot of photos that are really family photos uh, that really have you know, really not been seen by the public and uh, really give you a good idea of what it was like to uh, live in that period and, and to uh, have to recover from what was a very devastating flood. I, you know, I remember, you know, internally we were talking about this book for obviously quite some time before we started work on it. But this all happened during, you know, pandemic and, and lockdown. Um, so that's a pretty big undertaking. Can you, can you give us a, a little bit of a look inside what it's like to try to publish a book where you have to get our, our readers um, and, and, and folks in the community to send us these these photos. So tell us a little bit about that yeah. process. Are they sending these photos in or are we going to them and picking them up? How do we well, do this? Pediment typically has public events where people come in with their photos and uh, we electronically scan them. But because of the pandemic, we were unable to do that for this project. Uh, so they were able to actually scan and upload their photos directly to Pediment or could make an appointment to come to our uh, office where we scan them. Uh, and then uh, uploaded them. So everybody left with their photos, or you know, everybody was reunited with their photos. We didn't, we didn't take right, any. We didn't photos. want to keep them overnight. <laughs> we wanted to make sure because a lot of them are really heirlooms. And and how many photos? Uh, you can ballpark this, but how many photos do we think are, are, are in the book? I mean, this is I, I kind of glanced at it. But yeah, I believe there are about two hundred and fifty or so. Uh, we uh, supplemented the the submitted photos with. Uh, some photos we acquired from the Luzerne County Historical Society, and uh, also what was in the Time Shamrock newspaper files uh, that ran in the newspapers back in '72. Some really powerful photos of uh, what's what's going on in the, in the Wyoming Valley at this time. And and I I asked you guys, you know, before we uh, we got into the studio today, to to tell me a little bit about your personal experiences. Um, Joe, you told me that that you had. You had done some work after the flood in the 44th Cemetery. Do I have that right? That's correct. Some of the images that I, I've seen prior to our publication of the of this book and, and that everyone seems to talk about are 
what happened at the 44th Cemetery? So can you just tell us a little bit about that and, and maybe we'll get to some of your personal experiences? Yeah, I uh, was worked for a company in, out of Luzerne, uh, John Connolly Construction, and they had a, a, a couple contracts to do work around the valley, quite a few actually, and one was clean up in the cemetery. I probably arrived there mid-July, probably the second week of July, and we worked mostly, we were on a crew cleaning out the trees that were downed, and they were ripped out of the ground, so we'd cut them up, and in the process of that, you'd move headstones, and you'd find things that were disinterred. Right. You'd find the... the just what, what happened there. So, and I, and I think that's, that really struck me that from what I understand about 2000 graves were, were, were destroyed and, and, and just swept away. And that, that just to me seems, you know, it's, it's a, it's a punch in the gut, you know, to the Valley. I mean, you lose, your, you lose your home, lose your jobs. You have to be, you know, evacuated, but, but now you've got cemeteries that are just completely wiped out and, and swept away in the, in the cleanup. Uh, that that seemed to go with that. Just to me, just that just really caught me. And, and, and so you were doing some you were doing some work over there. But I, I would imagine that um, just being around that in, in in general just had to be a just had to be difficult from just a community perspective. Of, of just talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I think there was all for me. It was all part of what happened. I mean, there was a, a, a lot of devastation. Obviously, our family home was inundated. Uh, it was very obviously very disruptive. The, my family was scattered all over the place, and when when we did come back, it was sort of disjointed. Your whole neighborhood's gone. My paper route was wiped away. My customer base was gone. The the life was turned upside down for everybody, and for me, that work and all the other aspects of that work, the cleanup and the, the cemetery was just part of it. Um, it was just part of that experience it was was it horrible yeah but i don't know that i saw it then as horrible i just saw it as what i was doing interestingly though i uh the, the woman i we eventually married her mother was buried there about six months before so she, her body was one of the disinterred oh, wow. so i certainly understand the uh or have learned from her the feelings that she has and that has, there's a door that that never closes she just doesn't know what happened to her mother so, and you were all um, essentially uh, teenagers um, at the time, if I, or, or about teenagers. I, I'm not going to make anyone give their age away. But Leonardo, you, your family was evacuated, right? That's correct. And tell me a little bit about that. So you're you're living at home. How much how much advance warning do you get that this is about to happen? We really had no advance warning. Um, I lived in downtown Plymouth on uh, West Main Street, and the. Um, Evening of June 22nd, the emergency crews started to drive through the streets with their sirens and bullhorns, ordering everybody to get out now because there was what they believed would be a breach in the levee in a portion of Plymouth, which we weren't aware of. Everybody was, you know, prepared to go to sleep on the night of June 22nd, thinking that nothing was going to happen. And then, of course, um, when they came through the streets with bullhorns and sirens, we packed up the car and went to a relative's house who lived in, mercifully, the bridges at that point were still open, and we were able to go across the river to an, a relative's home in Hanover, where we stayed for the duration of the flood. So you just touched on that. If the bridges aren't open, what happens then? Well, once once the bridges were inundated. Um, well, they when they the emergency crew shut them down, 
access from one side of the valley to the other was completely cut off. So those are the folks who are stuck in water rescues and, and those kinds of things? Well, it was just, it was impossible to move from one side of the river to the other because all of the bridges at that point were at levee level. So when the water was rising and when the water um, eventually went over the top of the levees, it was also going over the top of the bridges, so you couldn't cross them. So um, for, I, I would say, probably two weeks after the flood, uh, when the water finally receded, it took them that long to find ways to open up those bridges and get people from one side of the river to the other if you needed to. Dave, so where were you when when this is happening? Tell me a little bit about your your experience. Well, uh, I, I grew up in Luzerne, um, and we were out of the the flood zone by a couple of blocks. Uh, though I do remember the morning of the twenty third, uh, my father had a business in Pittston, which is on the other side of the river, and we would typically uh, go to his place of business very early on Friday mornings, try to get to Pittston by six a.m. Uh, by that point, all the bridges were closed except the Market Street Bridge in Wilkes-Barre, uh, which we tried to get across. But by the time we got there, uh, they had closed it to all but emergency traffic. And I remember seeing the water swirl, you know, really right under the deck of the bridge at that, at that point. So you're a couple blocks away, and um, I'm, I'm going to hit on your, your news experience here and, and, uh, and the way it was back then. So back then we had newspaper. We had radio. We had television. We didn't have internet. As Leonardo said, you know, they're driving around in, in trucks with sirens and loudspeakers. I think it's hard for us, a lot of us, to imagine, you know, 50 years doesn't seem like it's, it's all that long ago. I, I mean, you guys lived through this, but it's a different world today. You know, we send out some, some you know, text alerts, some news flashes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we were, you know, watching the Weather Channel and everybody knows this is coming. It, it really wasn't that way. You were a few blocks away, but you still had to have some kind of sense like, you know, at some point, like, this is coming. We, 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 we got to do something here. That's why you worked your way toward the bridge. Sure, sure. And, you know, the radio stations were, were still working, though, by uh, the middle of that day, actually, a lot of them, either their transmitters had been flooded or they were forced off the air. I believe there was a, an afternoon newspaper that came out on that day, though there wouldn't be any newspapers published in the Valley for quite a while because they, they were uh, flooded uh, out. So, you know, communication was hard. And even... If you had a radio, if you didn't have the batteries, a lot of times, much of the valley went without power for quite a while. Uh, telephone service was knocked out. So uh, there was really a, you know, a, a, by today's standards, you know, really a blackout of news. Joe, you've been in the news business um, a, a long time. Well, we all have, actually. So um, when, when we look back at Agnes, so we're publishing a book about it 50 years later. Uh, a, a photo book, and, and we're remembering. Um, but Dave touched on, uh, touched on something that that I thought was kind of interesting. So we didn't we, we didn't publish newspapers for a couple of days, and in in the publishing world, that's a big deal. Like that, we we don't ever not publish a, a, a newspaper. So you're you know you're a kid growing up there. That's uh, maybe you can just talk a little bit about that. Like a couple of days uh, without the newspaper, and you know we still got you know some radio and television, but but newspapers were were the whole deal back then. Yeah, and I think people when they had the power, they were glued to their particularly their radio because it was sort of uh, immediate. They'd have updates about you know where water was available or you know missing people or people looking for each other and eventually one i i believe one of the first newspapers that probably was published was the Wyoming Observer 
and they seemed like they were on a regular basis. And that was uh, was a, a John Regal, I think. They put a newspaper out. And I remember when, when pa- papers started to be published again, people gathered around them and they shared them in a way that they wouldn't normally because they were they were looking for that information. I just, you know, like a little insider thing here. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to imagine this world where we're not publishing the newspaper because, uh, uh, you know, the, the place where we make the paper is underwater. But I'm also imagining that all of the paper we had was destroyed by the flood. So it's not an easy segue from, you know, our plant got flooded to... You know, now we're publishing a newspaper. Now we're bringing in all new newspaper well, and newspaper when it starts or when it's before it gets put on the press is in a big roll. And those rolls are often stored in, in basements. And when they get wet, they swell. And when they swell, it pushes on concrete and it makes the building dangerous. So wow. that's what was happening. Yeah. And, and people are you talked about the, uh, you know, people are listening to the radio. Uh, you know, they're not carrying their TVs around. Uh, newspapers are certainly portable, but we weren't publishing them. Leonardo, you had an interesting point when we spoke earlier about um, the, so the the way that uh, the valley was changed uh, because of this. So downtowns were already struggling and, and seeing, uh, you know, having having a, a, a difficulty. And, and, you know, the downtown were really decimated by this. So the Wyoming Valley Mall was just kind of coming into existence at the time, right? I believe there were two stores that were open in the Wyoming Valley Mall. It was just it was just opening, just getting started. And the whole mall concept was just coming into the region at the time that Agnes hit. And at that same time, of course, I remember downtowns being like very vibrant prior to the flood. And after Agnes, just the fact that you could not find anything to buy for your house, for your your clothing, anything outside of the floodplain, it just sort of drove consumers out of the floodplain, out of these downtowns that were in the floodplain, and into places like the Wyoming Valley Mall, many of the shopping areas up here in Scranton. I do remember there was a department store called Einan Drug, which was um, a huge outlet, and there were so many flood victims who, because you couldn't find drywall or plumbing supplies or anything that you needed to repair your house because there was no place in the Wyoming Valley to buy it. People were driving all the way up to Scranton and to Einan Drug and to whatever just to find, you know, anything to repair their homes because there was nothing anywhere. You don't realize that. So when the, the you know, the business districts get, you know, wiped out or, you know, all these family businesses are, are just underwater. You know, you mentioned that how hard it is to just, you know, fix and repair everything. And I'm imagining that's a process that took years. Dave, what do you think? How many, like, are we talking a decade? Is it more before the Wyoming Valley was really completely back? Well, I'm not sure it was ever completely back because there were a lot of big changes. Like Leonardo talked about, you know, the kind of movement toward, you know, larger shopping centers, malls outside the town centers. Um, there was a big residential exodus, too. I mean, uh, I live in the Back Mountain area now in Luzerne County, which really before the flood uh, was much more rural. And, and over time, people wanted to move out of the floodplain. And I think you see the same thing in Mountaintop on the east side of the river, that that really spurred a lot of residential and commercial development in the mountains around uh, Wyoming Valley. Um, though there were still... You know, the actual, there were still people living in trailers, I believe, up until like 1975. 
government-issued trailers uh, because they had lost their homes and they couldn't find new housing. So the, the recovery took a long time. And they put a new uh, levy system in, but that wasn't quick. When, when was that? Remember when that was finally completed? Well, the levies uh, were repaired quite quickly, I, I believe, by 1974. But it would not be until, I believe, the early 2000s, till, till the levy raising project put an additional, uh, I believe it's six feet, onto the levy system. Six feet. Yeah. All right. So you're in the back mountain now. So I'm going to, this one's going to be for Joe and, and Leonardo. So they're still living, in, generally living in the, in, in the area, in, in the Wyoming Valley. Um, do you feel safe now with the current levee system or, you know, without getting into a whole climate thing, we get pretty close a few times, don't we? Uh, we do get close. Um, uh, there's been uh, high water. Well, of course, 2011, the, the river was higher. The volume wasn't as great as 72, but the, the crust was higher. And then we had high, two, uh, two big uh, events in the 2000s. I live a block from where I grew up in the house that I grew up. The house I'm in now was flooded. Uh, I'm on my paper route. Uh, <laughs> and the papers are being delivered now still. Um, do I think, I think about it all the time. I think anybody that uh, went through Agnes and that lives in a floodplain thinks about it all the time. Um, you know, they've created, after 72, they created impoundments upstream that contain more water. Um, they've raised the levees. Um, we have the flood balls. Um, but we think about it all the time. I don't think it ever goes away. Leonardo, do you, do you think the, um, 50 years later, are people still thinking about Agnes or do we think about Agnes when it rains an awful lot? I think that people who went through Agnes... As Joe said, think about it all the time. Every time that it rains, um, every time that the river goes up three feet, people start to look at it with trepidation and go, and how high is this going to go? I think that there's been an influx of um, residents here who were not here or were not, weren't even born in 72 and since they didn't experience it firsthand, I don't think that they have that same level of respect for what the river can do, what it's capable of doing. And I think that they have, in many instances, a sense of complacency about how safe we are, even with all of the improvements that have been made to the levee system. Dave, so you made a book. How long does that take? I, I imagine this is not a quick and easy process, and I'm sure the folks at, at, at Pediment uh, do an amazing job to make that as easy as possible, but there's no way this is easy. Mm -hmm. Well, we actually really started uh, discussing the book at the end of uh, 2020, uh, and uh, you know we, we uh, worked on it all through this year, and uh, Leonardo and I passed on the, the final proof just about two weeks ago. So, you know, there's a lot of fact-checking, uh, deciding which photos you want to use, which photos you don't want to use, uh, doing some research to uh, put together the text, uh, which was really very interesting. It was kind of like reliving our youths, looking at these newspapers from 1972, and not just, not just the flood news, but the stores that aren't there anymore or the things that you remember from, you know, 50 years ago. But I hope that we've been able, you know, to pull together a, a book that uh, will really inform people. And for the people who live through it, um, I don't know if they'll have nostalgia for 1972, but they can maybe kind of relive, you know, what it was like to, to go through what is still the worst natural disaster in Wyoming Valley's 
history? Yeah, so I, I was a kid growing up in Scranton at the time, and I, you know I remember what was going on down there. But as I'm flipping through the pages of of the book, I'm just blown away by the images that I'm seeing. I mean, you know, we we all see the images of, of you know flooding on on uh, you know uh, TV or newspaper now. I didn't have a sense at the time, and maybe it's just because I was a kid. This was major. This was fast-moving water. This wasn't, you know, the water kind of crept up slowly. These houses were off of the foundations. The, you know, the things were found, you know, miles away from where they were supposed to be. I, sure. Well, there were, well, you know, uh, the majority of the real destructive, uh, you know, water was where the levees burst. So as Joe talked earlier about the 44th Cemetery, that came through with great force. Mm-hmm uprooted trees, etc. Also in Wilkes-Barre, there was another levee breach. And the pictures from that South Wilkes-Barre section are really striking. I mean, houses torn in two, houses pushed off their foundations, uh, you know, just um, blocks and blocks of, of just devastation. The book is called Agnes, 50 Years After Wyoming Valley's Worst Disaster. Joe, when's the book going to be released? When when can the uh, when will the public have this? I'll talk a, a little bit in a second or two about how they can go about ordering it. But but when when are we going to see this book? When's it going to be out there for the world? Well, I, I know it's before the holidays. I know it's this year, but I'm going to let Dave speak to that because I don't know the exact date. All right, Dave, now, you're on the hot seat. It will be it will be delivered uh, in mid November. Okay, so if you want this for the holidays, you, mm-hmm. you want to you know have a, a gift or this, you'll have it before. The holidays, right? And you can pre-order uh, now uh, either by you know, going to our website or to our Facebook page, or uh, pick up a copy of the Citizen's Voice. Uh, we've been regularly running a an order form if you'd prefer to mail in a check and receive it in the mail. So there's a bunch of ways you can get this. You can go to citizensvoice.com. You can go to our Facebook page. Uh, we'll have a link in the description here of the podcast uh, that you can go to. You can walk into the building, right? You can right. stop we, by and fill out some. We have some forms in our lobby if you want to stop in at uh, 75 North Washington Street in Wilkes-Barre and uh, fill out a form and uh, put it in the mail with a check and, and we'll get you your book in November. Okay. Leonardo, I have to ask you, is the home you grew up in that was damaged by the flood, is it, is it still there? Um, no, but it, it um, had not been washed away by the flood. Um, it, it subsequently burned. Um, the property was burned. But um, but not fr- flood-related. It was so not flood-related. You were no. able to move back into your home. Yes, it took um, two years for us to get back in our home. Two years. Wow. Joe, how about you? Is the, You said you, you live now about a block from the home you grew up in. Did the home you grew up in survive it, the flood? It survived, uh, and we would hose it down with garden hoses and squeegees and let it dry out and then do it again and do it again, you know. And we were in there pretty, because of some cir- circumstances, we were in there pretty quickly. And uh, it, But, you you know, there was no furniture, so you're on lawn chair and boxes, and uh, you, didn't, you didn't have much, really. Uh, you were lucky to have electricity. And that was a big day. So. Wow. Uh, Dave, I'll give you the last word on this. Um, so I have to imagine with 50 years coming up, in addition to a book, um, and, I, and I won't make you, you know, uh, tell us everything, but but I would imagine in the, in the we've had some uh, some anniversary flood coverage, but uh, there'll, there'll be more talk about this book as, as the date gets closer to when we're, when we're going to release it. Sure. And, it, you know, it will be available uh, after uh, mid-November. We'll actually have copies in our office that uh, people can come and uh, purchase if, if they like. 
Um, and it will, it will be available into next year and, and uh, hopefully beyond that. Outstanding. So one more time, the book is called Agnes Remembered 50 Years After Wyoming Valley's Worst Disaster. You can get it at citizensvoice.com. Uh, go to our Facebook page for more information or click on the link in the description. Uh, it's published by the Citizens Voice and Pediment Publishing. Joe Butkowitz, Dave Janoski, and Leonardo Bilbo, thanks very much for coming by today. 